welcome to the monthly Skill Bites show, where we share information that is geared to helping you succeed in your business. This is Judy Weintraub, CEO of Skill Bites and host of this show. If you want to position yourself as an expert, one of the best ways to do that is to become a published author. Skill Bites author platform provides the easiest way to get a book written and published. Today, I am delighted to have with us Gabrielle Soleil. Gabrielle is an attorney who represents a number of authors, literary agents, and publishers. Gabrielle is going to share with us some of her expertise on when and how to get a literary agent, as well as the important contractual terms to have in your agreement with an agent and what to do if the relationship isn't working. Gabrielle, welcome. So glad to have, have you with us today. Thank you, Judy. I'm really delighted to be here and also to be talking about this important and slightly mysterious topic to some people. Yes. So before we delve into that, can you give us a little background on yourself and how did you get involved with helping authors and literary agents? Well, um, I have been practicing law for just over 20 years, and for about the last 10 or 12 of those years, I have been um, working a lot with all kinds of creative people, including a lot of writers and agents and people around writers. I happen to love the written word as a lawyer. Um, you know, it, I, I, I so understand the process of, you know, the struggle for the right word and the right sentence and the elegant solution to a problem that you need to get on paper. So I, I feel like I, I relate to writers. Um, I love literature. I love reading. And it's such a pleasure to help, you know, from my little place in the background to sort of push push authors out into the world and, and push their work out into the world. Great. Well, um, we've come to the right place because, as you said, there's some mystique around the idea of literary yeah. agents. Can you share with us what exactly does a literary agent do? Well, the bottom line is uh, the most important role a literary agent plays is to sell the author's work to a publisher. They are basically the matchmaker between a writer and a publisher. In, in some cases, and we'll talk about this a little later, in some cases they're essential you know, in that role because some certain, you know, a, a sort of narrow slice of the, the literary landscape won't even look at a manuscript unless it comes from an agent. Uh, that is, as we'll talk about, that is by no means universal across the whole sort of publishing uh, ecosystem. But agents also can play an important role in, as an advocate, as an ally. And they understand the marketplace. Um, they know which publishers are worth approaching with your exact kind of work. Uh, they know what the publishing landscape looks like at any given time. They understand the trends, um, which, you know, we hate to think about literature and writing in terms of trends, but they're, they're clearly there. Um, they also have relationships, of course, with lots of other writers and editors and other key players in the industry. Um, so they can be, you know, valuable contacts for writers in terms of, you know, if you need someone to help you polish up your book proposal, um, they can probably hook you up. Uh, and they can also, in general, give you, you know, valuable career advice and guidance. And, um, what, and of course, once a book is sold, 
um, they can also act as an ally and, and help you um, with respect to negotiating a publishing agreement uh, with the eventual publisher. Um, you know, when, 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 when you're successful or when your agent is successful in selling your book, um, you will be looking, possibly, at your first ever publishing agreement. And uh, the agent, of course, will have seen dozens, maybe even have seen dozens with your exact publisher. So they can be helpful in helping you understand uh, the sort of inside track on what terms might be reasonable to ask for with a particular publisher, where they won't go, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, the one caveat to all of this is that, you know, while they are very good at making sure that authors get paid, because, of course, they're getting paid while you're getting paid, uh, and they will help you stay on top of royalty payments, and they will help you decipher these inscrutable um, royalty statements that many publishers are still using. Um, in my experience, they're not always so great at dealing with the non-financial terms of a publishing agreement, which also I hope we have time to talk about, uh, you know, in terms of liability and some of the other issues that um, publishers care about a lot. Um, but in general, uh, you know, bottom line is they, literary agents are the, the gateway to a certain piece of the publishing marketplace. Yeah, you mentioned about how agents get paid when you get paid. How do agents get paid? Well, um, a, a reputable agent, um, and, you know, there's a whole world out there of not so reputable agents, which hopefully we can also talk about, but a reputable agent gets paid when you get paid. And typically, they get paid 15% of what you get paid. And that's, that's a pretty universal industry standard. And if there's a, a deviation from that, there should be a good, uh, a good reason for it. A legitimate agent won't charge you an upfront fee. They won't, you know, they, they're sometimes called reading fees or, or there's, some, you know, various sort of nickel and dime $75 for this or $150 for that, different uh, like fees for various services. Um, but a legitimate agent will simply take on work that they believe they can sell. And when you think about it, this actually makes sense, right? They, what they're bringing to the table, supposedly, is their extensive knowledge of the market, and they should be able to make a living off of that knowledge. They should be able to make a living by placing your book in the hands of a publisher who will want to buy that book. Uh, and, you know, if they need to charge you to read your manus manuscript or whatever, um, chances are they're not quite cutting it as an agent as we were just talking about agents. Okay, so one sign of a non-reputable agent is if they want to charge you for certain services. Yeah, and, and exactly. And that doesn't mean, I mean, there's a kind of a spectrum, right? I mean, there's, there's like real scammers on the one side. I mean, and, and, and what we're talking about here are not so much that they're not reputable. I mean, they are charging you a fee and you are paying them to do something and they are doing that thing. It's just that if they are really good at what they do, if they're good at, you know, the thing we were just talking about that is the agent's actual function in this world, they ought to be able to you know, make make a living, make a nice living off of selling your work and getting paid when they sell the work. So I don't mean to imply that agents who are charging money, like as a reading fee, are, uh, you know, they're not being dishonest. They're telling you, I'm going to charge you $75 to read your manuscript, and they will do that. But I'm just saying that they probably don't have quite what it takes 
to sell your work, and they don't, ha you know, they're certainly not demonstrating the confidence that they can, they can do what they do, and that their business model sort of supports what they're doing by simply selling work and charging a commission when the author gets paid. So they might read your work and decide that they either they don't have confidence that your work is going to sell or that's not within their area of right. expertise and that's sort of a lost lead for them. It's a marketing exactly. expense that they don't exactly. get reimbursed for. Yes, in the traditional model, right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the author pays the agent 15% only once the agent has been able to get them a publisher for their book. Right, right. And the typical sort of model for how this works would be the, the, when the book is sold, you know, generally there'll be an advance that the publishing house will pay to the author, and then there'll also be a royalty uh, component. But, and, and for both of those pieces, the, the publisher will, pay the, will actually pay the agent, and the agent will accept payment on behalf of the author. The agent will take their piece, their 15%, and then they will send the balance to the author. So, you know, that's usually how the agent is assured that, you know, they're going to get their 15%, and they obviously have legal and contractual obligations to the authors to give them, you know, the balance, the 85%. Um, and, and, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of how it works so that the agent gets paid as and when the author gets paid. So whenever there's, for example, a royalty payment, usually those are twice a year, uh, the royalty payment and the royalty statement will get sent to the agent. The agent will take a look at it, make sure everything is the way it's supposed to be, make sure the math is right, um, and then send along a copy of the statement as well as the 85% that is the author's piece to the author. Okay, and that's it. I mean, the agent's not going to have any requirement that um, if the royalty is below a certain amount, then they get any, they get a fixed fee or whatever. It's just strictly on the. Uh, yeah, I have. Well, I, I've you know, I've never seen that. I haven't seen uh, an author-agent agreement that has any sort of minimum or floor. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not in my experience. Yeah, so it's commission only. Yeah. Better them than, than us, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> okay, so I guess if you're looking to get your book published by a traditional publisher, then it makes sense to get a literary agent. Yeah, um, you know, it, it is it is true that it is very hard to crack, you know, what we call the big five uh, in the industry without an agent, especially in fiction writing. And so if you want to see your work, you know, in, in Bright Lights, published by Simon & Schuster, HarperCollins, Penguin Random House, Hachette or Macmillan, um, you probably need an agent. I, I And I'm not knocking those publishing houses. They obviously um, play a huge role, uh, an outsized role perhaps, um, you know, and they know how to sell books and they know how to find an audience and they know how to grow an audience for a book. And they play a very important role, you know, just in bringing people into bookstores, frankly. Um, so all of that is great, but there are vast 
vast areas of the literary landscape that you do not need an agent for. Um, and if you'd like, I can run through some of those. Yes, I'd appreciate yeah. it. Thanks. Yeah, so the, the, the biggest one um, today, and, and the biggest and growing, um, would be the self-publishing area. I mean, we could spend a whole hour just talking about self-publishing today, and it is, you know, fast-changing and definitely here to stay at this point. Um, but for now, I think the point is just that, you know, there's a ton of great options out there where you're not only bypassing the literary agent, you're actually bypassing the whole publishing industry as well, or at least a big part of the public, you know, the traditional publishing industry. Um, as a lawyer, I have to say, you have to read those terms and conditions carefully. And in general, I mean, anytime we're talking about bypassing any of these traditional gatekeepers in the industry, you know, you are acting in this case as your own agent, or you are acting as your own publisher. So you need to read, you know, you need to read the terms and conditions, you need to read the agreements, you need to do those things um, that you know, these other people would have done for you in another context. And the other thing you need to think about with self-publishing, you know, from sort of a legal business side is that, um, you know, even though you're just clicking on something <laughs> rather than signing it and it seems less formal and less kind of ritualistic, you are, it's still a contract and it's still a real contract. And, you know, one of the things I, I counsel clients on more than anything else is, you know, how important it is to keep track of and think really hard about what rights you're giving up in your work. Um, but, you know, but self-publishing is huge. There's a ton of different platforms out there. And like, you know, like the search for an agent or like the search for a publisher, um, you need to do your homework and you really need to understand what you're signing on to and what you're getting. Um, but the point being, you don't need an agent. Um, to self-publish your work, and you can do very well self-publishing your work. Um, another area um, for which you do not need a, an agent would be any kind of, a lot of specialty publications, sometimes it's called niche publishers. So if you write about farming, for example, you're not going to need an agent to submit your work to, you know, American Farmer Press or whatever. I'm just making that up. But, you know, if you're like in a real niche area, the players in those niche areas, they figure out who they all are pretty quickly. You don't need an agent to help you narrow in on something if you are already in a fairly narrow specialization. Um, also, some small, you know, traditional but smaller publishing houses will read manuscripts submitted directly by a writer without an agent. Um, you know, there's been some real, I, I wish I wasn't drawing a blank right now, but there's been some um, real great literary finds that have kind of bubbled to the top that way. There are, you may also be able to get some nonfiction published without an agent. Uh, you know, again, if you go that route, if you go the route of just submitting to a more traditional publishing house, but without an agent, um, because, you know, you think you're in a, in a genre or a niche where you don't have to, you still need to do your homework. You need to um, go to the publisher's website, understand their submission guidelines, you know, try to get as much information as you can to make sure you're... Um, you're, you're hitting your target correctly. And I, I, I guess I'm, I'll mention this now, even though it's not directly on point. When you submit, when you're trying to find an agent, you can, you can reach out to as many agents as you want at one time. Um, agents know that you're probably reaching out to multiple agents. If they're interested in you, you know, they'll, they'll hopefully grab onto you pretty quickly. But when you're submitting your work for actual publication and you're bypassing the agent, um, you really, it's considered very bad form to 
submit your work for publication to more than one publisher at a time for consideration. Um, so, you know, so, you know, again, there's an argument there for having an agent who helps you kind of sort through all the different publishing options. Um, but if you bypass that and submit directly, you need to be thoughtful about the fact that, you know, you're going to only be able to really submit to one publisher at a time, and it could take months to hear back. Uh, and, and, you know, we don't really have time to get into that part of the, the relationship, but um, that is a consideration. And just to sort of wrap up the other areas that you do not need an agent for, um, the other piece I wanted to mention were some certain genre novels that are fiction, but that are very specific, like science fiction and romance novels and that kind of thing. Um, you can't, you know, again, it's almost a little bit like the specialty publications where the players in those in, in those worlds know who they all are and, and you know, you, you kind of get to know who you're submitting to and what their, um, you know, what they're looking for and what their submission guidelines are. And again, you can get lucky in those areas having an agent can still get you bumped up to the front of the line because, again, you know, when a publisher is looking at the submission and something is coming from an agent, they'll know that that has been vetted by at least one sort of layer, meaning the agent. Um, so it can get you pushed to the front of the line, but um, there are definitely people working in those genres who, who submit their own work. Uh, and like I said before, you know, if you decide you don't need an agent, you're still going to you're going to have to do the homework and learn the ropes and learn the areas of the publishing world that are relevant to your work, because you will be essentially acting as your own agent. Getting back to what you mentioned earlier about self-publishing, and yes, we could certainly spend a full hour on that. A lot of people go that route because it does take so long to get a publisher to accept your work. Uh, what is your view as to when should an author consider going the literary agent slash traditional publisher route versus making the decision to go with a self-publishing? Well, um, one could be simply that you're in a hurry to get your work in print. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean because having your work in, in print supports some other goal that you have, um, whether it's a career goal or, you know, whatever it is. Um, certainly, you don't have to sit around and wait for somebody to, you know, wave you past the gate, wave you past the velvet rope. You, you're you in. Um, and that's, I mean, there's a huge, obviously, upside to that. Um, also, if you're just a strong believer in your work, if you, for example, are a fiction writer, um, you know, there have... You know, and, and I don't know. I don't know to what extent this happens, but it does happen that people get discovered by, you know, the traditional publishing houses by their self-published fiction, um, which is pretty cool when you think about it. Um, and uh, you know, thirdly, I would say if you have or you're confident you can develop a market for your work, if you have a platform already. Um, to help you get your work out there, you know, whether you're blogging or podcasting or you have, you know, a, a, a good, you know, social media presence or you're prominent in your field or you think you can be, um, certainly that would be a great argument for self-publishing because you therefore don't need the sort of legitimacy that, um, you know, the, the traditional gatekeepers of the industry would normally confer on an author. 
Um, you already have that. So, you know, why would you wait around uh, again to get, you know, waves through the gates when you can just do it yourself? So there's, a, you know, there's a lot of different situations, I think, where self-publishing is a great option. Yeah, it's interesting because my understanding is that unless you have a pretty decent platform, publishers aren't as likely to even want to consider you. And yet you're saying that <laughs> if you have a platform, you might not need a publisher. I know. I mean, it's really interesting. And that is such a dynamic that, that is happening right now. Um, you know, and, and the, you know, the good news and the bad news of today's media landscape is, and I'll just, you know, by example, with several nonfiction authors that I have worked with in the past few years, they actually didn't find an agent. The agent found them. And in one case, a client of mine was being interviewed uh, for a news program. In another case, and, and an agent was like working out in a gym, literally, and saw, saw my client and said, oh, I got to, I got to, this guy has a book in him. I got to get him to write a book. And in another case, uh, my, my client, also somewhat prominent in his field, um, had a very flattering uh, magazine article published about him, like a long-form piece that was really well-written uh, and, like I said, flattering, positive, and, uh, and, and, and was approached or was hooked up somehow by a personal connection with an agent. And, and in both of those cases, the agent actually realized that the, that the author, the eventual author, had a book in him. I don't know that either of these people had considered strongly or, or really realistically thought about writing a book until they were approached. So, you know, that, so you're exactly right. I mean, these people were approached because it looked to somebody out there in the market that they had or could have um, a platform, you know, because they had been written about, because they had been, they had obviously already been covered by the, the mainstream media. They probably looked them up and saw that they had, you know, like a lot of followers on whatever social media they were on. And that does help. And that is one of the things, you know, I wanted to mention for anybody. Um, you know, publishers um, love authors with a built-in audience, and therefore, obviously, so do agents. Um, and I'm not saying at all, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's kind of horrific in a way, and I'm not saying that people should, you know, every writer should just, like, sort of stop practicing their craft and, like, just start, you know, turn into teenagers and, like, start Instagramming your cat. That's not, <laughs> you know, that's not, like, that's not going to do it. But if you can, in some sort of thoughtful, incredible way, build an audience for your book while you're writing your book, you know, by blogging about your topic or podcasting or getting articles published, you know, on the same topic or, you know, excerpts a little bit tricky um, for legal reasons. But you should definitely consider doing that. It's, it's very compelling, you know, as part of a proposal, either to an agent um, or to a publisher. Um, and if you decide to go the self-publishing route, I mean, obviously, it can only be helpful um, to have a built-in audience for your book before you, you know, before you even finish writing it. So let's say that I've written a book and I've decided that for credibility purposes or whatever, I do want to go with a traditional publisher and want the assistance of an agent. How do I find the right agent for me? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a really important question. And the answer, you know, it's like in so many, so many areas of life, is to start by doing a ton of research. And if you're a writer, you're probably really good at doing research. 
Um, and as we were talking about a few minutes ago, you know, part of this is weeding out the scammers, like the out-and-out -out scammers, and they are out there. Um, there are scammers in this neck of the woods. Um, and, you know, beyond that, once you have sort of narrowed down the list of legitimate agents to the ones that are, you need to narrow that down further to the ones who are most likely to be able to help you. So there are agents, and sometimes entire agencies, that specialize in certain genres, like you'll see um, children's books, for example, are a whole world unto themselves in this industry. There are agents who specialize in mysteries and romance and cookbooks is a whole separate thing, um, self-help, other kinds of nonfiction. Some agents will work across a broader area of the literary landscape, but you will still need to do your homework to learn their tastes and their interests. And uh, fortunately, the internet and also some very comprehensive print publications like Publishers Marketplace and Writers Market and others have made this research a lot easier than it used to be. Um, one trick that I, I often share, and I, I thought it, this was um, such great advice, and then I heard somebody else give it somewhere, and I was like, oh, I thought that was me, but I guess <laughs> I'm not as original as I thought, but it's still a good idea, is to, um, is to pull together a list of books a lot like yours. And I know we all, you know, our work is unique and special, but just to be super practical for a minute, um, you know, think about who the books that are, what in the business world we would call, you know, your competition, even though I know that's really not the right, the right way to think about writing books. But with that in mind, if you can get yourself to a big bookstore that has a lot of books on the shelf, like a Barnes & Noble big box kind of store, and locate as many of those you know, what we would call competition books that are in the same genre or style um, as yours. And you'll want to take a look at those books. And, you know, you'll notice things like the publisher. And you'll notice who blurbed those books and who reviewed those books. Um, and most importantly, you'll want to turn to the acknowledgments page. And generally, the first person an author will thank will be their agent. And if you make a note of the agents that are representing the books, that are kind of in your neck of the woods, you can come away from this exercise um, with a pretty good list of agents to, to consider approaching. Um, you might also end up spending a lot of money on books, so you've got to be careful. But, um, and, well, and if also, you go to a bookstore, then you, know, it's, it's a problem. you can write the names down and put the book back. Yes, you can. That, you, that is apparently an option. I have a hard time doing that. Or but go to the library for that Yes, matter. I know. And I, I, that is true. You can go to the library. But at the library, you'll have books that were published, you know, 25 years ago mixed in with a book that was published last year. And then sometimes the really recent books are in a whole separate, you know, recent public, publication type section of right. the library. So a little trickier, but the library definitely works and it is cheaper, less tempting. Um, but and the other thing is, um, in addition to noticing who the agents are that are working in your space, um, you, might, you might also notice some um, acknowledgments where there isn't an agent mentioned. And that's not because the agent did a bad job. That might be because that author was able to approach that publisher directly. And that is also a really valuable piece of information. Okay. And I suppose you can always contact the author to ask. Yes. Yes, you can. So I've got my list now of 
a half a dozen agents who have helped authors in my subject matter get their books published, what what should I do to approach them about representing me and my book? Right. So you've got your list. Um, and let's assume you don't have any mutual contacts or any other way to get a personal introduction. Um, you will generally send what we call a query, which is Q-U-E-R-Y, not Q-U-E-E-R-Y. And this is basically a proposal to an agent asking them to represent you. Um, regard, and, and typically, it's regarding a specific work you've created. You don't generally query an agent to represent you, the writer. You're, you're asking them to represent you, but you're asking them to represent your work, I should say. Um, and every agent has a different form of query they like to see. And so, again, it's homework. You need to check their web, the agent's website um, you know, or some of these online or print publications that um, are basically directories of agents. Um, but make, you know, the best way is just to go to their website because even if their own if their own website is out of date, they can't blame you. Um, and so you figure out, you know, what what it is they're looking for. And usually, it's some combination of an introductory letter, what we call the query letter, where you introduce yourself and your work. Um, and then it'll be some combination of that plus like an outline or or a um, synopsis of your book maybe a few chapters, uh, and a self-addressed envelope. If you're doing this, some of them want hard copy, some of them want electronic submission. That's another piece of information you'll need. Unfortunately, that self-addressed envelope is basically you paying for your own rejection letter and materials back. Uh, but that's the sad reality of the world we're in here. Um, but there's a couple... So it's still by paper. Sometimes, sometimes they want paper. want email? Yeah, sometimes. And, you know, there's this, this sort of... Um, this term in the publishing industry called the slush pile, which is kind of like literally the pile of manuscripts that are sitting in an inbox somewhere. And it's often it's not even the agent that's reading it or in the publishing house. It's not the editor. It's, you know, like the, you know, two years out of college assistant right. um, who's, you know, trying to get a leg up in the world, who's taking the first crack at your manuscript or your sample chapters. Um, and like I said before, you can query multiple agents. Um, unlike when you are submitting your work directly to a publisher, um, they know that you're doing this. So if they like you, they'll hopefully grab you quickly. Um, and like we, you know, we talked about uh, before, unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at it, um, a lot of times agents will find you, not the other way around. So that's another reason um, to have a a good media presence. Um, partly, you know, and you can't sort of sit around passively hoping somebody will find you, but if you do have a good presence um, out there, then when, you know, your your query comes across their desk, um, they'll probably look you up if they're at all intrigued. So it's another reason to sort of establish yourself online or digitally or whatever. Uh, and the other thing I would say about approaching agents uh, is, um, well, two things. One is, I know this is crazy because we're talking about writers, but you know, definitely please have someone review your proposal or your package, your query letter, and make sure there's no typos or you know obvious glitches because that's just gonna. I mean, you're a writer, and it's so easy to get nervous or overexcited or overeager and and you know just send things out with mistakes in them, and that's a real that's a real downer. Um, and then the the, the toughest advice. 
um, that I have for people in this area is you don't, you're going to want to, but you don't need to, and you shouldn't necessarily jump at the first interest you get from an agent. Um, you, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about this a little later. But you, um, you know, your your relationship with your agent is a pretty intimate and personal one, and they should really understand you and especially your work. Um, and you need to be kicking the tires on the agent as much as they might be kicking the tires on you and your work. Um, you need to make sure they're really well-versed in the relevant market for your work. You can ask them what books they've handled um, successfully that are like yours. You can ask them, you know, what publishing houses you think that they, or what editors you think that they might consider submitting your work to, just to, just to get an idea of, you know, of how, how well they understand your, you know, your, your genre and the, the piece of the publishing pie that we are, you know, that you're in. Any other questions to ask them to get a sense as to whether they're the right person for you? Well, um, not so much. I don't know that I have, like, specific questions, but I would be, you know, if there's a, if there's a, a polite way to ask, you know, like, what about your work intrigued them? What, you know, what what like gets them excited about your work, and then you can kind of get a sense of you know whether they they think of your work the same way you do, um, mm -hmm. or if they don't, you know what the difference is and where it's coming from, and you know and and I would also ask like you know how they how they think that you know you can best position your work or what kind of advice they would have for you or will have for you if they take you on um, in terms of positioning your work and in terms of what your proposal would look like, and there are some. Agents who are very hands-on in terms of, you know, not not necessarily editing your work, but helping authors shape their work, um, you know, depending on whether we're talking about fiction or nonfiction, of course, um, but helping authors shape their work, um, you know, to sort of suit the realities of of the publishing world. Okay, great. Now, I've identified the agent that I want to work with. What's the next step? Well, assuming there's a match and your agent wants to work with you and you've gone through the query letter process, the, the next step is hopefully some kind of agreement or understanding um, about how the relationship is going to work. Um, it used to be, back in the day, uh, a lot of agents, and maybe, maybe it didn't, I, I don't know, I'm not that old, but a lot of agents didn't even used to have written agreements at all. And in fact, I, I, I still have a number of, um, you know, author-publisher-agent relationships that I've worked with where there's no, there's no author-agent agreement. Because what would happen is the agent and the author would shake hands, agree to work together. The agent would go out and sell the book. Again, they're not getting paid anything until they sell the book, so there's no money changing hands at that stage anyways. Um, there's an agreement that there's some kind of exclusive relationship because, of course, you can't have multiple agents out there selling, trying to sell your book. Uh, and when your agent sold your book, the publisher and the agent and the author would together agree uh, to, that there would be a provision that would get inserted into the publishing agreement, the agreement between the publisher and the author, whereby the publisher would make any payments to the agent, who's like not even a party to this contract except for with respect to this little piece. 
Um, and, and again, like we were saying before, the agent would take their cut and send the author the balance. So it wasn't until there was an actual publishing agreement in place that the agent would even get anything in writing that would assure them of their pay. And that would be, you know, in a way that makes sense because that's the point at which the agent would want to insert themselves and say, okay, now I'm, now I'm entitled to get my pay. So we're going to stick me into this contract here as the, as the party that will be receiving the money, et cetera, et cetera. So that is sort of the old school model, which is still around uh, in some cases, but more common today. And I, I don't have you know complete picture of the entire landscape, but in my in my experience, most agents today will ask an author to sign a formal representation agreement when they take you on. And I have negotiated a bunch of these, um, or I can't even say I've negotiated them because they're they're so they can be very take it or leave it ish. But what I have done is helped authors understand what exactly they are signing on to. Um, so if your agent is you know, of the old school variety that doesn't ask you to sign an agreement. Um, I, I would recommend, not that you necessarily ask to have an agreement if that's not how they work, but you might, you might want to ask some basic questions about how the agent relationship will work. You know, things like, you know, do you take the standard 15% and, uh, you know, how long will you, you know, will you need to sell my book? In other words, like how long can I, how long do I tie my book up with you um, right. I would think that the author would have more interest in having an agreement than the agent. Well, the author yeah. wants the agent to do stuff. Yes, that's true. But and the agent at the same time wants certain things from the author. You know, like right up front, like, um, like for example, want an exclusive. You know, want to make sure that that author hasn't like a, made some kind of other arrangements or isn't like self-publishing the work. You know, or doing some other you know, something else out of eagerness, you know, excerpting the book or giving other people rights to it. or So they'd want to know they have an exclusive. They'd want to know they have, they, they, they have a certain amount of time um, to sell the work before, you know, that there's an understanding that, like, you have a year or you have 18 months. And if you can't sell this book within 18 months, then we need to have a conversation about what that means. Um, but, yes, I mean, so, and, and yes, absolutely. And this is, a, you know, a thing that agents do resist sometimes is, you know, you want, you want them to use their best efforts to sell your work um, because, you know, once you come to an agreement with an agent, that's it. Your work is in their hands. And, you know, like we were saying, you can't really, you, you can't compete against your own agent by trying to sell your work or get a place with another agent or anything like that. So, um, you know, you're right. Um, so, so if, if your agent is not of the type that has an agreement, you, you should, you know, ask those basic questions, and I always recommend, in any situation, not just in, in this context, but when you don't have an agreement in place, and for whatever reason, it isn't the right thing to ask for one or insist on one, you can still, you know, have the conversation, make sure you understand the basic terms of the relationship or whatever the arrangement is, and then you can send an email, send some correspondence that says, you know, thank you, and this is my understanding of what, what, what's going to happen, and hopefully they will respond and say, yes, that's right. Uh, or they'll respond and say, actually, you know, X, Y, Z instead of A, B, C. But in either case, you have some kind of, at least you have some kind of written way to, if nothing else, just it's not, a, not as good as a contract, but it does sort of preserve the memory of the conversation so that there's, mm -hmm. you know, 
additional question later on. What are some of the typical terms in the agreement? You've got payment, obviously. Yeah. Um, exclusivity. Mm -hmm. um, some type of best efforts and time frame. What else goes into a an agent agreement? Um, beyond that, there are also um, you know agents are going to want a lot of the same protections that publishers are going to want. They're going to want to make sure, for example, that um, that the work is original. You know that it doesn't infringe. You know agents because they get paid when you get paid. They're going to want to see a lot of the terms that the eventual publishing agreement is going to have in it because, you know, God forbid they do all that work and they sell your work to a publishing house and then the publishing agreement says, oh, you know, here's the part of the publishing agreement where you, 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 you assure us that your work is original and non-infringing and that you have the rights to use any third-party content and all that kind of thing. And now the, the author is suddenly like, oh, I, actually we have some issues here. Well, now, you know, so the agent will ask for those same kinds of assurances up front before they even start working so that there's no, no surprises uh, upon the sale. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one important, you know, and that's one important piece of most um, agent agreements these days. Um, there are also, and this is another, I find this really interesting and also kind of tricky. Um, there, uh, well, a couple things, rights of first refusal on subsequent work. Publishers will also often ask for this, but if things go well, um, an agent will might ask that you submit your next book um, to the agent as well so, and give them sort of the first, first pass at it if they want to represent it. Um, there's also a whole, a whole bevy of subsidiary rights that, that authors need to be very careful about. You know, you are, can be so excited that you have an agent that you sign everything including giving the agent the right to represent your book for any kind of adaptation, for film, for television, for foreign rights and translations, and, and all kinds of what we kind of lump under the category of subsidiary rights. Well, it's important to make sure that if you're giving your agent those rights, that they are actually in a position to exploit those rights. Like they have the wherewithal, either the wherewithal within their own firm or the right contacts. And, you know, this is an area where I... I strongly encourage authors to ask questions. You know, like, have you done a book-to-film deal before? Have you done a TV miniseries before? You know, or whatever it is, because, um, you know, when... And, and I actually, in preparing to talk to you, Judy, I pulled out a few of these, um, a few agent agreements I worked on recently, and, you know, there's provisions in there, like, along the lines of where the agent is going to actually represent the author for these other kinds of rights should the book you know, have the opportunity to be made into a film or a documentary or whatever, um, but with sometimes with the option of the agent going out and getting what's called a sub-agent, you know, someone who works in one of those industries. And in like in one agreement I looked at, um, I was reminded that the agent in that deal had agreed to cut their, their um, commission on those other kinds of rights down to 10%, because they knew they were going to have to bring in another agent and also agreed that the total commission would not ever exceed 20%. So they're cutting back a little bit, but the author is also getting a little bit less. So, you know, that can be a good deal if that agent has the experience or it can be, it can be a real nightmare to get out of if it turns out that the agent doesn't have that kind of experience. And Hollywood 
or whoever comes calling, and now you're stuck. You know, your 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 material is tied up with an agent who has this sort of overbroad set of rights that you probably should have thought about a little more carefully before giving them in the first place. And the last thing um, I want to mention along these lines, which is also kind of a tricky thing to negotiate, is what is sometimes called a key man provision. And what this is about is you're working with an agent, and this can also apply if you're working, say, with an editor at a publisher house, but specifically with an agent. You have a relationship, they love your work, you really want to work with them, and midway through the process, uh, they switch firms and they move to a different agency. Now what? Your agreement is going to be with the agency, not the agent. So you're going to be stuck. Um, and the agency is going to say to you, you know, really sorry, um, Kathy, your agent has moved down the street to another agency. So your new agent is Joe. And you don't know who Joe is. <laughs> you've never worked with Joe. You've never heard of Joe. Joe doesn't even work in your, you know, in your area. Um, so one, one thing that you can ask for, um, but might not be able to get, depending on your leverage, is a key man provision, which basically says that if your person, if your individual agent leaves the firm, you have the opportunity to terminate your agreement if you want to follow them. Okay. And there's more, but <laughs> there's more, but those are some of the key, key tricky provisions. Oh, and can I say one other thing? Yes, sure. Um, <laughs> there's also the whole idea of what happens if the agreement is terminated midstream in general. And this, 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 this key man thing sort of reminds me of this other issue which comes up, which is you see this in real estate and any kind of agreement where you have somebody who's working on commission and selling something and the agreement ends and then where the relationship ends and then the work is sold as a result of the agent's efforts. There's always going to be some kind of protective language that says that even if the agreement terminates, like the term is over, the one-year period or whatever it is, is over, the um, and the work is sold through the efforts of the agent, for example, you know, it ends up sitting in on someone's desk at a publishing house, but they eventually read it and love it, but the agreement has ended, the work hasn't been sold yet, and now the work is going to get sold, even if it's after the, the term of the agreement, um, the agent will still get their commission. And there's always, and that's fair, up to a point that's fair, and there's always a little bit of haggling over how long that period of time lasts, and et cetera, but there's usually something that protects the agent and, you know, rewards them for their work. Okay. Yep. I think that sounds fair. Yeah. What should the, what other things should the author pay attention to or look out for to protect his or her interest besides that key man provision? Yeah. Well, um, I would say, you know, um, I would say your ability to get out of the relationship, you know, your ability to terminate the agreement if it's not working out, you know, like we talked about before, um, any kind of agent relationship, but especially when it revolves around a creative work like writing, um, it, it's an, you know, it's an intimate relationship. It's a special relationship. And, you know, every 
every agreement, every agent agreement, will have some sort of language about how to terminate the agreement. Um, and it's usually pretty formal, and it involves notice and whether there's a breach or not a breach and all that kind of sort of legal boilerplate. But the bottom line is, is if the relationship is going south, it, it's not really going to make sense for either party to force the other party to keep it going just because the agreement says you have a year or because, um, you know, because the, the provisions about terminating say you have to give, you know, 60 days notice or whatever. Usually, you know, when in a situation like this, because of the nature of the relationship, if it's not working, um, the parties will come to some reasonable agreement. Again, you know, with protections for the agent to, you know, to retain an interest in the work that they've done so far, um, to the extent that that work <clears throat> uh, results in any uh, in any revenue. But um, so, and and again, this gets harder the longer the relationship goes on. You know, when maybe several books have been sold, um, and then you know. Get, get, can get a little bit trickier to extricate yourself. But I would say, and you know, it, it's so hard when you're all excited and you have an agent who's interested in you and now you have to focus on how to terminate the relationship or, or how that's going to work and what that's going to look like. Um, but I always say, you know, the time to have those difficult conversations is when things are great, right. not when things are already going south or when there's a problem. So um, and you can do it in a very neutral and upbeat and, you know, professional way uh, at the beginning of the relationship when there's no emotion. Or you can, I have to say, you can hire a lawyer to do it for you and keep yourself out of it entirely, which is also a, a great way to preserve your relationship with whoever you're working with. Um, you know, the, the one bugaboo in terminating a relationship, uh, an agent relationship like this, um, is when there is a book that is already in the process of being shopped around. Um, this can be really tricky because, you know, number one, like we said before, the agent is going to expect that if the book sells to a contact that she originated, she's going to continue to either represent the book or be paid as if she is. So you might be paying your agent, but you might not have the benefit of her counsel if the relationship ends. Um, and secondly, if you are switching agents while a book is, at being actively shopped around, it's going to be, you're going to have a really hard time finding a new agent because what are they, you know, they won't be able to approach anybody that has already been approached and it's really going to narrow their world and narrow their strategy in a way that's, you know, probably um, not, it's probably going to make them shy away from taking you on in the first place. So that sort of goes back to the point we were talking about a few minutes ago that, you know, as hard as it is to pass on an agent when they're interested in you. You really have to make sure you click with whoever you hire to work with and sell and represent your book and you. Right. Those are good points. I hadn't really thought about the fact that um, if you pick the wrong agent, then getting a second agent is going to be that really much harder. harder. Yes, because they've sort of like this is going to sound more harsh than I mean it to, but they're going to have sort of polluted the, you know, the pond um, by being out there, you know, if they've already started to to put your work out there in front of publishers, and then those people will be, you know, will be kind of out of the running for a right. for a new agent. Hmm. Yeah, that's very tricky. Okay, well, great information. Really appreciate your wisdom sharing with our community here today, Gabrielle. Um, 
If people want to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Um, well, first of all, thank you, Judy. I, I, as you can tell, I can talk about this like all day. So I'm, I'm glad we're, um, <laughs> I'm glad you're not giving me the opportunity to do that. Um, and if anybody has any questions or wants to talk more about this, um, they are more than welcome to reach out to me. All of my contact information is at my website, um, which is Soleil Law, my last name, which is S like in Sam, E-L-L-E-I, and then the word law, L-A-W, dot com. And like I said, there's contact information there as well as my phone number and, and you know, an email, whatever page. So I am completely reachable. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. We have a great program scheduled for next month. Our show will be on January 18th from 1 to 2 Eastern, and our guest will be Denise Hedges. Denise is a business development coach and a speaker coach with over 30 years' experience in sales and marketing. According to Denise, speaking is one of the best and fastest ways to grow a business. But how do you get started? How do you navigate all the ins and outs of this powerful strategy? Denise is going to give you the inside scoop, everything you need to know to successfully market your business through speaking. So save the date, January 18th from 1 to 2 Eastern to learn how to build a speaking practice. Again, thanks so much to our guest today, Gabrielle Soleil. You can get her contact information by going to her website at soleillaw.com, S as in Sam, E-L-L-E-I, law.com.